Hey, it's great to be with you guys. I didn't know if we were going to make it. We got stuck in three accidents on the, on the 210 freeway and spent about an hour there and then drove like NASCAR the rest of the way <laughs> to get down here in time. My gosh. So I'm on an adrenaline rush right now. Um, Lord, I need some Holy Spirit adrenaline rush uh, to do a good job today. It's so great to come and speak at your church. We get to do this every few years, and I got to say, it's one of my highlights when we're back in America. I uh, just love your church so much. Thank you, Barry, for inviting me. Um, traffic does not change in L.A., but some things change, <laughs> right? Uh, you, you guys have seen some new things happen recently. You're launching your Catalyst 2.0, I heard. That's wonderful. You've got some new uh, home groups that are starting up, right? That's good. If you have anything else that's been new since the last time I stood up here, please come and talk to us at the table afterwards and tell us about it so we can keep up with you all. Uh, we've had a lot of new things happen in our lives as well since we last spoke. Uh, let's see, this year was a banner year for us because we had two graduations and a wedding. Yeah, so our oldest, Evan, graduated from Chapman last spring. And big thanks to Matt and Sang. Uh, for helping him get through those difficult years. Um, then our youngest, Alicia, graduated from high school in the spring, and we just came back in July to help our kids with that transition, right? So she's now in Pepperdine, praise the Lord, and then Evan is trying to find a job in Hollywood. So we're helping our kids in that life transition, you know, and then hopefully in July, they'll be more settled and we can go back to Indonesia. Uh, but we also had a wedding this year because we have s sort of like an adopted son in Indonesia named Ki, and we got to attend his wedding this summer. So let's go ahead and put that photo up. Ki and his beautiful wife. This was an amazing event, I got to say. They really go all out at weddings. So we literally had 2,000 people at the reception. And we had to provide a buffet table for all of them. And I just keep, I'm seeing all these people streaming in and more people and more people. And that guy's gone back at least three times to the buffet. And I'm praying, oh Lord, you may have to multiply food to get us through this wedding. Five hour reception. Um, but the, the food lasted, praise the Lord. And it was just an amazing uh, moment for us to look back on 23 years serving the Lord in Indonesia, and to see out over that crowd so many of the faces from our 23 years, you know? Like back there's a couple tables of the Christians from the minority groups that have been faithfully serving alongside us for so many years. And then around the, the building, we, we spot different Muslims who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they're be being a light to their families and their neighborhoods and their networks. And then we also spot many, many Muslims that we know well, and they're on the path, right? Maybe they've had a dream about Jesus. Maybe they've had a vision. Uh, maybe they've seen a healing or some other miracle. Um, or maybe they've come to us and shared their personal problems, and we, they've received prayer from us. Oh, thank you, Ross. Um, so maybe they, they haven't quite committed their hearts to Jesus yet, but they're on the right path. And then we look out and we see like another thousand people that we don't know who they are. But because of Key and his wife, God has brought them into our sphere of influence. 
Isn't that awesome? So it's been a really exciting year for us. NASCAR drivers have to drink too. <laughs> and we'll be going back in July, and we're excited about that. Uh, let's see, what else is new? Uh, I have a new book. Everybody say, yay! I got to stay ahead of Pastor Sam. <laughs> so the, I got good news and bad news, though. The good news is um, that it just got published last week, and it's about revival and transformation of society, and it's great. The bad news is there was a delay, delay in the delivery, and it's not going to get to me until tomorrow. So I don't have any copies for you. Say, everybody say, aww. Oh, that really touched me hard. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, but if you want to know more about it, come and talk to us at the table outside. Uh, let's see other new things with us. Let's see. Um, I have three new teeth, courtesy of Dr. Mike Namba. Yes, thank you, Mike. You, you want to see? Well, never mind. Um, you, Mike's a wonderful dentist, and you all know that, right? What you might not know is he's also a very talented singer. Did you know that? So I got to his office early a couple weeks ago, and I could hear him in the back singing. He was singing the dentist's favorite hymn. You know that one, right? Crown him with many crowns. Yeah. But Mike also can sing pop music, too. I mean, he's multi-talented. Uh, I asked him, am I also going to need crowns here on these bottom teeth? And he said, nope, fillings, nothing more than fillings. <laughs> if you want to know more about Mike's hidden talents, um, I recommend you try out his uh, home group with, that he and Kaz have, right? Is it with Bob and Nancy? Check it out. Is it full? Well, good. Well, if, even if it gets full, just go anyway, <laughs> sit outside the door and read a magazine, and, bobbles, and Mike will squeeze you in there at some point, right? Um, but I love how Mike really brings the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven into his office. It's just so beautiful. You know, people come in there, and they're in pain, and they want healing, and they receive it from Mike. And I think um, probably all of us have heard at some point a preacher say, we need to be sharing the gospel at our workplace more, right? And I imagine... What if Mike had a new patient come in, he's in a lot of pain, and he says, sit down, open wide, and then he takes out one of those stinking long scary needles in one hand and his vzz, vzz, drill in the other hand, and he looks down at them and says, do you know where you would go if you died today? <laughs> that wouldn't be appropriate, would it? I mean, people struggle with so much fear and anxiety already going to the dentist. Or is it just me? I always struggle with fear and anxiety at the dentist. Um, but Mike doesn't do that, right? Um, instead, what he does is he brings healing, which is what the person really needs. But at Mike's office, you get more than just healing. You also get uh, empathy, acceptance, peace, generosity, all of these kingdom values are on display, and I know that sometimes they even get to pray for people right there in his office. It's just wonderful. 
Now, I went in there needing a root canal, and when you're in pain, right, with a toothache or whatever kind of pain, the last thing you want to do is talk to people about the afterlife, right? You don't even want to talk about tomorrow. You just need help right now. I mean, even people who come into this church in pain, right? What you need is healing. And thank God at this church, if you're in pain today, you can come forward at the end of this service and someone will pray with you. And God might even do a miracle and set you free from that pain right here. It's happened before, hasn't it? God's done it right here before. And that's such a beautiful thing. When, when you're in pain and then that pain is released, you're so happy. I remember feeling this way coming out of Mike's office. So happy you could just... Let me put it this way. If my wife had a baby two weeks ago, we might have named him after Mike. <laughs> well, may, or maybe after Kobe. Yeah. Mamba Namba Harris. I like the sound of that. Well, I love your new mission statement that you guys have. Uh, I'm going to read it here to help people experience all we're created and called to be in Christ. Did I get it right? We're going to talk about that word called today. All that we're called to be in Christ. And I believe that all of us here are called to change the world. Maybe you've come today and you say, well, I'm not even a Christian, or I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. Well, guess what? You're called to change the world, too. Everybody gets the same calling. Our lives are supposed to make a difference. Now, my experience in some other churches in my past has been that we've, we've been taught that we're called to change the world by getting as many people to become Christians as possible and starting as many new churches as possible. And those are wonderful things, but today I want to contend that that is thinking too small, that God actually wants to do that and a whole lot more. One way to look at this is the gospel of salvation uh, versus the gospel of the kingdom. Some of you are familiar with these terms. Gospel just means good news, right? So when we talk about sharing the gospel, I think a lot of times what we're thinking in our heads is sharing the gospel of salvation. And salvation is that we have a barrier in our relationship with God. But he, sent, he took the initiative. He sent his son to die on the cross for us, to reconcile us to God, and to make a way for us to go to heaven. That's the gospel of salvation. Now, is this important? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's life-changing. It changed my life. It changed Ross's life. It changed Barry's life. It changed a lot of our lives in this room. And so if this is something that's new for you or you haven't wrestled with this, well, it can change your life. But there's also this other term called the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of God's plan to rule and reign over everything on the earth. 
And in the New Testament, what we see is that there's a lot more references to the gospel of the kingdom than the gospel of salvation. Now, let's take a look at one, Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Those of you who are waiting for Christ to come back and the end times, well, here's what has to happen first. Every nation, in fact, the word nation here is ethne, it's every ethnic group, has got to understand the good news of God ruling and reigning, bringing his heaven to our earth before Jesus is coming back. That's why you sent us to Indonesia and support many other people around the world who are sharing this good news. Now, Jesus talked about this gospel of the kingdom a lot. He didn't preach very many evangelistic sermons. He never did an altar call. He never invited people to pray the sinner's prayer. But he often said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. Now, this word repent, we know that, right? It simply means to change your mind, change your thinking. So we've been thinking about life in this way, and Jesus says, I'm going to give you a whole new way to think about life. Jesus is going to give us a brand new perspective called a kingdom perspective. But he's going to back that up with a brand new power to deal with the problems of this world. And so it creates a brand new reality that we can step into. It's like doing life, but getting an upgrade. Now we're doing life 2.0. The old way of thinking, uh, the religious people of Jesus' time, they, they were taught that purity is the most important thing. So we don't associate with sinners because we don't want to be corrupted by them. We don't go near the lepers because we don't want to get their sickness to us. But Jesus comes in with a whole new way of thinking. He says, in my kingdom, it's the opposite. We go to the sinners. Because what we have inside of us is strong enough to cleanse and change their lives. We go to the sick and lay hands on them. Because what's inside of us is more powerful than the disease in them. And it's the disease that leaves. See, in the new way of thinking, this kingdom, life 2.0, we're not afraid of Muslims starting a mosque in our neighborhood. We go to the grand opening and join the party. We're not afraid of the coronavirus. If you know anyone who has the coronavirus, we should be the ones who are laying hands on them and praying for the sick. This is my prayer for China right now, that the church will rise up with faith to show that they actually have more anointing to deal with the problem of society than the government does. Yeah? Jesus didn't come and die just to recruit a few friends to be with him in heaven later on. He came to redeem all that was lost. Let's look at this next verse from the story of Zacchaeus. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Son of Man is Jesus. He's talking. 
And notice he doesn't say to save those who were lost. He didn't just come for individual people. He came to save that which was lost, everything that was lost through the fall of man, through our own sin and the, the brokenness of our world, everything that was lost, Jesus wants to set it right. And so we have this amazing story of Zacchaeus, and many of you know this story from Sunday school. If you don't, you can look at Luke 19, and you can read the story as I talk about it. But Zacchaeus was a corrupt government official. He was a tax collector. Uh, he was also, uh, what's the word they're using nowadays? He was uh, vertically challenged. And so he climbed a tree to see when Jesus was passing by. And Jesus comes up to the tree and he preaches a very short sermon, one of my favorite sermons when I was a starving college student. I used to preach this sermon frequently. Jesus said, hey, can I have dinner at your house today? <laughs> and so he goes to Zacchaeus' house to have dinner. Now, none of the religious people would do that, right? because of purity. They don't want to mix with this sinner. But Jesus goes to his house, has dinner, and what happens? Let's look at the next verse. This is amazing. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Let's notice what was lost that Jesus restored in this story. First of all, Jesus says that this man is a child of Abraham. We think that salvation probably came to Zacchaeus and his house. So his spiritual situation with God, his reconciled relationship with God was restored. But more than that, uh, what about Zacchaeus' self-worth? Restored. What about his reputation? Starts on that the correct path to restoration. What about his spiritual gift? Zacchaeus probably had a spiritual gift of generosity, of giving, but he had not been operating in that gift. He'd been hoarding with greed, and now his spiritual gift is restored. Corruption in government is defeated, and righteousness is restored to the tax department. Those poor people who experienced injustice from being cheated on their taxes get their just tax refunds. And even the poor who are suffering in society receive the provision of the Lord that he planned for them through this man Zacchaeus. All of these things are restored. And Jesus didn't even preach a sermon. He just ate a meal and loved a guy who was a sinner. Jesus came because he wants heart change. He wants systemic change. He wants to make all things new. Let's look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Starts out like this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. So Jesus has authority over everything, not just individuals, but over institutions, over nations, over cultures, over systems, over sin, over hell, over death. He has authority over it all, right? And so he sends us on this great commission to redeem it all and bring it back. Here's my paraphrase. So wherever you go, train the nations in my way of life, my life 2.0. It's a redemptive takeover 
of it all. Now, one way to look at strategically uh, how we do this on an everyday basis is to consider these seven mountains or seven Yes, thank you. The seven mountains of culture. Many of you are familiar with this term. It just means that the major spheres of culture that influence our society. And you can see them there, the church or the religion mountain, the family mountain. Oh, family, by the way, also includes the medical profession. Uh, Education mountain, government, which includes uh, law enforcement, legal system, media, arts and entertainment, and then business. Now, these mountains or spheres uh, are prophesied about in the scripture. Uh, Let's take a look at Isaiah 2.2. It says, In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. This is a kingdom mountain over all the mountains. And the next verse, please. Revelation 11.15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, saying, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. All right, let's go back to the next slide, the seven mountains again. See, I believe that God wants to redeem all of these mountains, bring the whole world under his kingdom. Now, going back to that church I mentioned before that told us that the main way we change the world is by getting people into the church, right? There are some Christians who believe that the safest place to be, much like those Pharisees we were talking about earlier, the safest place to be is to just, everybody who loves Jesus, stay over there on the religion mountain, right? Don't put your kids in public school. They'll get corrupted. Keep them safe. Over here in Christian school, on our Christian... Now, if God tells you to put your kids in Christian school, that's great. My kids went to Christian school sometimes. But don't do it out of fear. Or how about this? Don't, t- don't let your son get a job in Hollywood. Hollywood's a terrible place. It'll corrupt him. He can come over here on the religion mountain, and he can make Christian movies. It's safe. Can you see the problem of what's going to happen if revival comes to the church, but we're all only over on one mountain? (laughs) How are we ever going to get to impact the society around us if we're not there? Does that make sense? So what happens often is Christians, we we cluster together in our groups and we complain about all the other mountains, (laughs) right? Oh, the government. Oh, Hollywood, right? I read an interview with Denzel Washington that was really fascinating, and this, uh, this person asked, so Denzel, s- since you're a devout Christian, how do you live out your faith in that godless Hollywood? And Denzel answered, godless Hollywood? What are you talking about? It's not a godless Hollywood. I'm there. <laughs> right? He's bringing God in the mountain of Hollywood. I love that. 
See, it's not enough to change the world by thinking that we just got to get everybody into church on our mountain. The way we change the world is by getting the church in the other mountains, getting the kingdom into the other mountains, getting heaven on earth in all seven mountains. And honestly, if we're thinking about changing big things in society, historically, it's never been done just through one mountain. It, it takes a combination of mountains. So let me give you a quick example of uh, slavery, right? Slavery in America, in England. There were people on the religion mountain who were praying and preaching against slavery for years, but nothing changed. It wasn't until they got a voice from the government mountain, right? An Abraham Lincoln, a William Wilberforce to stand up there and say, we need to bring change. But even those guys couldn't do it until they had a third mountain join in. In the U.S., I think the arts and entertainment mountain was hugely influential. A novel that was written by Harriet Beecher Stowe called Uncle Tom's Cabin changed the paradigms of many white people in America and prepared them for Lincoln's new laws. Same thing with William Wilberforce. He recognized that the government could not rival the power of the business mountain. It w he had to somehow reduce the profits or limit the profits that were happening from slave trades so that the businessmen would be willing to go along with the new laws from the government mountain, and he successfully did that. So when we want to see change, it's going to take us being on the mountains, rising to places of influence, and working together in partnership with people in other mountains, including those who are not Christians at times, right? As slavery was a good example. So where are you on these mountains? Maybe you can take a moment and just think about yourself. I know for me, um, today I'm on the religion mountain as a guest speaker. I have a little influence, but I don't really live on the religion mountain. I actually am living on the family mountain, the education mountain, and the arts and entertainment mountain. Now, on the family mountain, um, at least in my Harris clan, I have a large amount of influence because I'm the oldest living male. So I, I, I'm near the top of that mountain for my family. On the education mountain, uh, maybe I'm in the middle somewhere because in Indonesia, not only do I teach my students, but the Department of Education has asked me many times to train other teachers. So I've trained thousands of teachers. That's another sphere of influence. And then through our peace efforts, we've trained many more young people. That's another sphere of influence. So I may be in the middle with more influence on that mountain. In the arts and entertainment, I'm a novelist. I've influenced a few of you in this room, but I'm at the bottom of the mountain because nobody knows who I am. But one of the questions I ask myself often is, how can I use my gifts on my mountain? Now, we've all been blessed with talents, and then the Bible says that when Jesus is in your, your life, you, you also get spiritual gifts, right? And the difference is talent is I can do the best with what I have, and then spiritual gift is God adds on something that I couldn't do, okay? So, for example, as a teacher... Uh, every morning before I go into my classroom, I pray this very prayer. I say, Lord, please help me today to teach to the best of my ability. And beyond that, under the anointing of your Holy Spirit and the spiritual gift of teaching. Because he can do stuff through me that I can't do. And you can all do that on your mountain. If you're in the medical world, right? You can go in and say, Lord, help me to correctly diagnose 
and prescribe the best solution for my patients. But beyond that, anoint me by the Holy Spirit with the spiritual gift of healing so that what they take away from my office is more than what I could give them. What about a business person? Could you do that before you go into your business world every day? Say, God, help me to create wealth to the best of my ability. But beyond that, anoint me by the Holy Spirit with a gift of the multiplication of resources so that I might have more than enough to carry out the vision you've given me and be generous to others. Oh. I have other uh, gifts and talents that I, I use on these mountains. Um, I love to pray. I don't know if that's really a gift, but it's a passion that I have. Uh, I've started or helped start two houses of prayer in Indonesia now. I love to prayer walk around my neighborhood, prayer drive, pray with people that I, that I meet at my workplace. Um, I just, I love to pray. And God loves to show up there. You know, prayer is not just a church thing, right? We know that, right? So, for example, uh, I play soccer in Indonesia, and one day I was out with all my Muslim friends playing soccer, and one of my best friends on the team, his, his nickname is Fool, uh, he got <laughs> kneed in the spine and went down really hard. So I went over immediately, like I usually do, and just prayed a quick prayer, and nothing happened, so we carried him off the field and kept playing soccer. Um, but I figured he'd be fine, right? Well, at the end of the game, uh, he still couldn't get up. So we had to carry him down the path to the boat, put him on the boat, take him across the river, carry him from the boat to my car, put him in the car, me, him, and 11 other sweaty soccer guys all in one car, <laughs> and then drive home, right? And he, he asked me on the way home, he said, could we stop by this uh, famous witch doctor? Because he's had some success in healing people. And of course, in my heart, I'm like, I don't want to go to no stupid witch doctor. Come on, Jesus needs to be healing this guy. But understanding that he's in pain and he's my friend, I said, sure. So we drive over to the witch doctors, carry him in, lay him down. And then I just stand in the doorway and pray quietly against the witch doctor that nothing will happen. <laughs> what a nice friend I am, right? And sure enough, nothing happens. He doesn't get healed. And I'm like, yes. And then we carry him back to the car, and then we drive everybody home, and then I take full home last of all. And as, as I'm helping him into his house, I pray for him one more time that the power that God gave to us through the prophet Jesus would heal his body. And I go home. Three days later, I come back to check on him. And he's like, oh, Jamie, check this out. And he starts bending and doing all these yoga pretzels and things, and I'm like, wow, you look great. And he said, yeah, it's amazing. He said, that night after you left me, I was laying there, and all I could think about was, I know who that guy is, and I know where he lives, and as soon as I get well, I'm going to take him out. Now, I know Fool. Um, he used to be part of a gang that would take out contracts on people's lives. So when he said take him out, I knew he didn't mean take him out for dinner. I knew what he meant. But he said, I was laying there, and your words came back to me. I remember what you said about that I won't be healed unless I'm willing to forgive. So I told the Lord. I said, God, I've never done this before in my whole life. 
but I'm going to let this go. I'm going to forgive this guy because I really want to be healed. And the next morning I woke up healed. And the coolest thing about the story is I don't ever remember telling him that. <laughs> That's an example of operating under the gifting of the Holy Spirit, right? I told him what I had in my heart, but by the time it got from my heart into his heart, the Holy Spirit had added stuff in there that I didn't ever say. Isn't that cool? And so our influence can happen anywhere, on a soccer field, you know, in a classroom, and so on. Uh, let's go on to the next slide. Real quickly, take a moment and think about which mountain am I on? What influence do I have there? How can my gifts be used there? Let me have the worship team come on up. There's so much more I wanted to share today. Um, if you are curious about this subject further, ask God, I really want to be a person of influence on my mountain. I recommend that you check out uh, the, especially the resources of Johnny Enloe, all right? Uh, Johnny Enloe's got a whole bunch of books that are phenomenal. He also has YouTube videos where he takes each mountain and does a good hour on what is God doing on that mountain right now and how can you join in with that? Um, so please do that. Another place to start is to simply ask yourself, what in my mountain or in my city or my nation doesn't look like heaven? Because I'm praying, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What doesn't look like heaven? And could my gifts and my influence somehow change that situation? For us, I remember going to, to Indonesia the first time and there was such a huge wall between the Muslims and the Christians. They never talked about their faith together. The Christians were scared as a minority group because they'd all had their churches burned down. The Muslims were scared too, and they're the majority. Now, why are they scared? One Muslim told me, oh, I can't read the Bible. I'm not even allowed to touch it. If I do, the Christian jinn, the genie, might jump on me and confuse me and take me to hell. My God, how can we tear down this wall? And so I thought about the platform that I had as a teacher, the giftings that I had. And then the Lord led us to something called Peace Generation, where we started taking a, an educational curriculum into schools and teaching them the values of peace. Basically, how do you get along with people who are different than yourself? 15 years of doing that, and what are the results? Thousands of young people, mostly Muslims, who now are willing to have a Christian friend. Uh, we won a National Peace Award. Um, there are fewer recruits for the terrorists. Where there's better teamwork between Muslims and Christians to deal with social justice issues. And most importantly, there's a lot more conversations now about Jesus. Some of those students have even come into our house of prayer and prayed with us. I'd like to set you free today from the pressure of feeling like 
at your workplace or your school that you have to always be preaching or inviting people to church. Listen, if God tells you to do that, if the Holy Spirit leads you to do that, please do that. Always follow what he tells you to do. But you are walking in your calling when you bring the values of God's kingdom where you are. Romans 14 says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Think about this. When you walk in personal integrity at work, or when you promote issues of social justice, what is that? It's righteousness. You're bringing righteousness. When you comfort somebody who's hurting, or when you mediate between two people or two groups that are struggling to get along, what is that? It's, you're bringing peace. When you yourself are going through personal pain, but you choose to have a grateful heart, or when you celebrate others and enjoy them, what are you doing? You're bringing the value of joy. And what happens is people taste and see that the Lord is good. Johnny Enlow describes it this way, that every mountain has a face of God that needs to be restored. And you become the restorer of God's face so that people look and go, oh, I thought God was like this. I thought a Christian life was like this, but now I know you've got a whole other reality over here where God loves me, where there's power to deal with my problems. It's life 2.0, and we get to bring it. Can we go to the very last slide? Can you do that? I'd like to take just a moment for us to listen to the Lord. You've been listening to me so politely. Thank you very much. Someone else wants to speak to you now. God wants to talk to you. And here's a question for you to meditate on and converse with God about just for a few moments. Can we do that? And if there's anyone here today that you're not sure if you're part of this life 2.0 yet, you're not sure if you're a Christian, but it sounds like a different reality that you're interested in. You can upgrade today. Listen to the, the Lord talk to you as well. He'll speak to you. 
And then after the service, please come and talk to me or one of the other leaders of the church or tell, tell your friend and say, hey, would you just pray with me? Because I want in. I want that new life. All right, let me pray for you. God, we're grateful for the mountains that you've put us on. And we need your anointing of your Holy Spirit. We need your spiritual gifts to flow through us. We need your power more to be displayed. We want to reflect you and represent you so well that every mountain sees you the way you truly are. We want to see society changed, God. We're not happy about many things around us. We ask for heaven's influence to come to prison reform, to human trafficking. so many things on our hearts, God. But we want to be involved, Lord. We want to be part of the solution. We want to embrace your commission to redeem the whole world. So send us out, Lord. Send us out on each mountain. Send us to our families, to our communities. Send us to the nations from CCC that we might impact the world, that every nation would get to see the kingdom of God and then you can return. We give our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.